the love of God really touches on what life is about. I, today we're going to start a new series as we go through the book of Ephesians. And I've entitled the series, Grace School. As you look at the book of Ephesians, some of the, the most important questions about life are there. Who are we? Who did God make us to be? And and secondly, how are we supposed to live as a result of who we are? And chapters 1 through 3 answers that first question. Chapters 4 through 6 deals with the second. Who we are, how we're to live. And people ask those questions, all of us do constantly. And this, this letter beautifully describes that. We're to be a people of grace. And that only happens as we are touched first by that grace. And that's Jesus. That's the cross. That's the resurrection. That's the new birth. That's what it's about. And uh, I want to share an illustration with you about a prominent artist of the last century, Sir Edward C. Byrne-Jones. And uh, Sir Edward Byrne-Jones, he went to see his daughter and joy of his life his little granddaughter. And as he was at the house, she was allowed to sit at the table with him, the little granddaughter. And she started misbehaving. And her mom got very mad. And so she made her stand up and she grabbed the little girl and put her in the corner and made her stand with her nose right in the crack of the wall. And the grandfather, he was a good grandfather. He didn't make a scene. He just sat there and watched Well, the next morning he came again to visit. This time he came with his paintbrush and a palette of paints and immediately headed over to the wall. And he began to paint on the wall. Man, just some beautiful pictures of animals, of of, uh, goldfish and and of uh, pictures of a lamb and and, uh, pictures of a kitten chasing its tail. And his daughter said, what are you doing, Dad? He said, well, I watched you yesterday and and I watched my little granddaughter and, and I thought, if she has to stand in the corner again, she's at least going to have something beautiful to look at. And as I thought of that illustration, I thought about how great our God is. In that, yes, we do things and we pay a price for some of our decisions, but the price is not so great that God doesn't give us His beauty and His joy, even in the midst of the pain and of, and of sin, God's grace is there. And it's available to us. Now listen to this testimony. Of, this is from Chuck Swindoll. He says, So it is with our Lord, with the debt of sin paid by Christ on our behalf, we will never suffer punishment. When we do things we should not, He may administer discipline, sometimes quite severely, but He never turns His back. He doesn't send His child to hell. Neither do we fall from grace and get slammed behind the iron bars of the law. Thank God for His grace. So amazing. I cannot count the numerous times God came to my rescue. Because He stooped down to save a wretch like me, I owe Him my life. It's the very least I can do after all He's done and continues to do. That's the story of every child of God. 
if you've been touched by that marvelous grace, then His intention is that that grace pour through your life to others. And that's the book of Ephesians. Uh, As I've entitled this grace school, this is an introductory sermon. Uh, It's a message. It's kind of like the syllabus when you get ready to take a class for a semester. Too much to cover. So we'll just glance at some of the info. But I wanted to look at the classroom and the class in summary. We're going to read just a few verses for our scripture reading as we do an overview of the book this morning. But I'm going to ask you to stand in God's honor as we begin. We're going to be jumping for reading a couple of verses from uh, most of the chapters, beginning in chapter 1 of Ephesians. We're going to read the first two verses. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Chapter 2, 1 through 6. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Chapter 6, 10-12. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And finally... The last two verses of the book, verses 23 and 24 of chapter 6. Peace to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. Let's pray. Master, here we are. Back together. And thank you for allowing us to be together. You're the one who brought us from death to life and then you brought us from alone to with you, to with each other. And Father, I just pray that your calling of grace might be strong among us, Lord. That we realize who we are in Christ or who we're meant to be and who you want us to become in our daily lives, Lord. Do your work. And Father, uh, I pray that you might speak to us, Lord. Um, 
we need your spirit at work. And I just pray that you would speak way above what I'm able to say. And that we'd hear from you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. You know, sometimes in life, you get a letter that um, is just so good, you want to hold on to it and read it again and again and again because of what's contained there. And it just touches your heart. And if you look at this letter, it's a, a precious letter that moved throughout the church. As a matter of fact... Uh, as I studied in that opening, as Paul opens the letter, he describes himself as an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. It says, To the saints in Ephesus, in some of those original early copies of Ephesians, that phrase, in Ephesus, is not there. So there has been an idea that has traveled from that that maybe this letter started in Ephesus but certainly didn't end in Ephesus. And it's certainly the kind of letter that could move around to the churches. Certainly a kind of letter to offer encouragement and and strength, instruction on the grace of God, on living for Christ, on knowing what Jesus has done for us and why we're set free. Um, matter of fact, uh, I want to share with you from Colossians. Turn me Colossians four sixteen. Some have speculated that possibly Paul is talking about the movement of this letter. It's one of these letters that move through the churches. He says in verse sixteen, after this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read in the church of Laodicea of the Laodiceans, and that you turn, in turn, read the letter from Laodicea. Certainly a letter worth sharing. And and let's look at the classroom. Let's look at the area of grace school where people were learning how much they needed to depend upon His grace. It was a time where the Roman Empire was in charge. It was a time where the ruler was Nero from... uh, 54 to 68 B.C. was a, or not B.C., A.D., what am I saying here? Anyway, it's a time where he was, where he was ruling and where he was vicious, where he would kill without fault, where many Christians were the object of his insanity. It was said that he would set Christians on fire and use them as torches to light the Colosseum, that he would use, Animals to rip them limb from limb and uh, become food for those animals. Uh, They were the objects of wrath. And because of that, God's people scattered because of the torture they moved. And and it was a very difficult place. And and God's people needed comfort. They needed to be assured. They they needed to be lifted up. So what what a great letter to receive that. But it's still a letter that touches hearts even today. I want to read to you, this is a testimony from a guy that for many years was president of Princeton University, Dr. John McKay. And this is from the introduction of his book. He writes, I can never forget that the reading of this Pauline letter when I was a boy in my teens 
exercised a more decisive influence upon my thought and imagination than was ever wrought upon me before or since by the perusal of any piece of literature. The romance of the part played by Jesus Christ in making my personal salvation possible and in mediating God's cosmic plan so set my spirit aflame that I laid aside in all ecstasy of delight. Dumas Count of Monte Cristo, which I happened to be reading at the time, That was my encounter with Christ. The Christ who was and is became the passion of my life. I have to admit without shame or reserve that as a result of that encounter, I have been unable to think of my own life or the life of mankind or the life of the cosmos apart from Jesus Christ. He came to me and challenged me in this letter. I responded. The years that followed have been but a footnote to that encounter. Now, what was this place, Ephesus, like where these believers lived? The one who was worshipped was the goddess Artemis. Uh, The Roman translation of that, as is shared in the King James, is Diana. The main worship was, uh, she was a fertility goddess. And, uh, you know, as I studied this, I read about all kinds of just horrible things that happened. Young girls becoming temple prostitutes. Um, This was a kind of worship that tore lives apart. And it was a major sense of trade for those who lived there. That was their economy was so based on, on the worship of Artemis. And it was a it was a tough place for the gospel to ring out. But that's where a church was born in Ephesus, where uh, this letter was was focused and first written to were these Christians there. But Paul wasn't the one who actually founded the church. Turn with me to Acts chapter 18. In Acts 18, uh, we read about the beginning of this young church. It says, after this... Paul left in Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them every Sabbath. He reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. So he met this couple who were also tent makers, who were Jews who, who had to leave Italy. And as Paul met them there, they bonded as they talked about the Lord and as God worked in, in their hearts. And then we see that they didn't stay there too long, but they headed out together to serve. Look at verse 18. Paul stayed on in Corinth for some time. Then he left the brothers and sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. Before he sailed, he had his hair cut off at Chincrea because of a value taken. They arrived at Ephesus where Paul left Priscilla and Aquila. He himself went in the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to spend more time with them, he declined. But as he left, he promised, I will come back if it is God's will. Then he set sail from Ephesus. So it wasn't actually Paul that started this church here. It was this couple. 
Paul went away and their ministry continued and, and people came to Christ and a small church was born. A church that would grow and a church Paul would come back to and he would serve and he would, and he would work in and he would impact there. So where was he when he wrote this letter to that church? By this time he was in jail. He was in Rome and he was chained to a Roman guard. I don't know who was really trapped, whether it was Paul or whether it was the guard. Can you imagine being chained to the Apostle Paul? You're going to hear the gospel. There's no question about that. That's why when we read in uh, the epistles, he often refers to himself as, I, the prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ. He really was a prisoner. But he did not consider himself merely a prisoner of Rome. He considered himself God's prisoner. Chained up, but for a reason and for a purpose to share the gospel. Now, uh, looked at the classroom where all this happened, was written. I want to take just a few minutes and kind of look at the book just briefly. In Ephesians, uh, the first three chapters I already mentioned, chapter 1 talks about what God has done for us. Three times we read about the praise of His glory. And I love that first section. He opens up, he talks about the grace and peace to you from God our Father. And then he, he goes down to their beautiful section of Scripture. He talks about who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Guys, that whole first chapter talks about what God has done for us. How He made salvation possible. It, it, it really talks about redemption. It talks about the fact that he, he found something that was discarded. Something that had lost its true value and worth because of where it had been and how it had been used. But God redeemed that. And that's what He's done for all of us. He's taken us and He knows that we're sinners. He, he knows what we've done. But He redeemed. He, he brought us back. He, he saw our condition and, 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 and He fixed it. That's what chapter 1 describes. Just a beautiful description. Uh, verse 4, He chose us in Him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. In love, He predestined us to be adopted as His sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with His pleasure and will to the praise of His glorious grace which He's freely given us in the one He loves. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of His grace that He lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. So that first chapter talks about what He's done for us. And then the second chapter, He goes on and He describes what He's done in us. <laughs> Look at I, what a great section of Scripture. Um, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Guys, you weren't. you and I weren't just sick. We didn't just have a cough. Man, uh, we were dead as a doornail, as they say, spiritually. And God raised us to life. Uh, just a great section of Scripture talks about that's where we all were. <laughs> and uh, it, it talks about that we were objects of wrath at the end of verse 3. But verse 4 says, But because of His great love for us, God who's rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace, that wonderful grace, you have been saved and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Man, talks about what He's done in us. Not just what He did for us, but what He's done in us. It's personal. 
God got personal for you and me. Chapter 3 talks about making us into one family. How He moved from the child to the crowd. How He brought us together to serve Him. Uh, just a great section of His Word that, that describes the work He's done to bring together His church, His people, through His wonderful grace. And just think, Paul was penning these words as he was in that damp dungeon chained to this guard. Can you imagine that guard just reaching over and looking at Paul wondering what he's writing? How could that guy gotten out of there and not gotten saved? As he was there hearing and, 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 and listening. And, and you know, you look at these truths and some of them are so deep and you say, well, I don't understand. Well, guess what? I don't understand either a lot of times. Aren't you grateful? I know I am. That receiving His grace is not dependent on fully understanding it. Because if it was, we'd all be in serious trouble. I got thinking about, you know, things we just take for granted, guys. Uh, we take for granted the sun's going to shine, rise each day. Thank God it does. And that the car's going to start when I get out and crank it. And it's a real bummer when it doesn't. Most of the time it does. And I'm able to go and do what I need to do. And, and just that, you know, I'm going to take for granted that the old, my little uh, ticker's going to tick, my heart's going to pump, and I'm going to be able to move, and I'm going to be able to get up, and I'm going to be able to walk. And, and with hell, so many things it's so easy to take for granted. And I don't understand the details of how all this works. I am just do it. I just take it, and I use it. And, and, and I don't have to fully understand God and, and His truth, but I just have to take that step and trust Him. And... That's what it's about. And so we come to chapter 4 and chapter 5 and chapter 6 and, and, and then we, we, he shows us just some real practical truths. The first three chapters really deal with foundation. The fact you've got to know who you are. You've got to have that foundation of doctrine. What Jesus has created you to be. And, you know, man, foundation is so critical. I'll never forget years ago, I had heard Tony Evans, one of my favorite preachers I used to love listening to, and he talked about a house that they had bought. And he said, uh, you know, they, they had it painted. And it was like a couple of days after they had it painted, he looked, and there was this big crack up going up the wall. And so he was all upset, so he called the painter again. He said, guys, y'all didn't do a good job. you got to paint this thing again. So they came out and they painted it again. Three or four years later, there was that crack again. So the painter came out and he said, Wait a minute here. He said, let me investigate this. So he, you know, he looked around around the house. He said, sir, he said, I'm sorry, but I can't fix this. I can't repaint it. Your problem is not in the paint job. Your problem is in the foundation your house sits on. You don't have a good foundation. That's what's causing the crack. The foundation of Jesus Christ. The foundation of what He's done for us. The foundation of what He's done in us. The foundation of what He's doing through us together. It has to be there before we can move on. That's chapters 1 through 3. Now, in chapters 4 through 6, we just see such practical truth, guys, about living for our Lord, about walking through His grace. Um, and it's just such a, such great truth. Uh, we, we see that grace that He wants us to, to live out in chapter 4 as he talks about unity in the body of Christ, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. 
He talks about that great truth. And then he moves on in chapter 5 and he says, be imitators of God. He says, you need to be like God. As dearly loved children, you need to live a life of love. And he, look at the example, as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. And it, it is something that we can't do in our own power alone. And he goes on through chapter 5 and he describes that. He talks about how we were once darkness, but now we're light in the Lord. And Then he comes down to verse 17. He says, don't be foolish. Understand what the Lord's will is. He says, don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Hey, don't use different drugs to try to find the answers to life. The answers are found in the Spirit of God. He says, be filled with the Spirit. And notice what he says happens in verse 19 as we live for him when we're filled with the Spirit. First he says here in verse 19, this is great, to speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. The very truths of God become songs in our hearts. And if you have those catchy tunes of songs, I find myself singing a song around the house driving my my family crazy sometimes because just this song goes over and over and over. Isn't that great though to think that God's truth becomes that tune in my you know my thinking, and, and that's what He says occurs. And then the second thing that occurs is as you go through the rest of this chapter, guys, is a submission. Verse twenty one: Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Many times we focus on the. Uh, the particular relationship of the husband and wife as we look at the end of this chapter. But verse 21 says one another. You see, as Christians, we're all called to submit to Jesus. He is the head. And when the Spirit of God fills my life, I not only submit to God, but I'm open to submitting to you, to seeing you as someone that I need to serve, that I need to love. And, and uh, anyway, it comes to the end of this thing, and he wraps this up. You know, he started with grace and peace and he ends with peace and grace. And so there's this overview of grace school. And now as I bring this all together, just three words here. First, there's this letter's written as a reminder. Why? Because God's people, we forget who we are and we forget what He's done and we forget who we're to be and what we're to do. And as we read the letter, we're reminded that's so critical. Second, not only is there a reminder, it's a relief. It's a relief to get that truth from God, to be encouraged. And third, a reassurance. When you get to chapter 6, it talks about that battle with spiritual forces of evil. It talks about putting on your armor. It talks about getting ready for the warfare. And there's a reassurance that, hey, we're winners. We're not being overcome. God's at work in us. Anyway, as you look through the book of Ephesians, all, all of this truth comes together. And, and it's grace school. We're going to be you know, looking at it in much smaller bits. It's kind of hard to pull all this together in one message. But the joy of grace school, that we might become students of grace. Because that's what he's after, guys. And you know, it always comes to what he's done at Calvary what that means to us. And I want to close with an illustration of that. Years ago there was a story of a skier high up in the mountains who broke his leg and uh, there was a blizzard. And uh, he became frantic after a while wondering how he was going to get out of there. 
And a dog came upon him who actually was sent out as a search dog to look for those who may have had an accident. And when he saw this dog, he mistook the dog for a wolf. And so he reached and he took out a knife and he stabbed the dog several times. And the dog, out of instinct, went back home. And then when it arrived at home, the dog died. The owner looked at the dog and when he saw the knife wounds, he put two and two together and figured out what had happened. And what he did, he literally followed his dog's blood trail back to the person. And that person's life was saved because the trail of blood of that dog. We are saved because of another trail of blood. That trail goes all the way back to a hill with a cross and a Savior who died. He paved the way. Everything we do comes back, that blood trail, to Him. God had that in mind when He came, when He died, when He was raised, when He provided us redemption, when He brought us back. That's what He had in mind. And when He tells us how to carry out that grace to one another and how to share that grace to those who need Him, it's that blood trail right back there. And all of us here have to deal with that. You see, he, he has done everything to where you can see that trail. The question is, have you followed it back to Calvary? Are you his? Are you forgiven? Have you trusted him? It's great to come to church. I want you to come to church. But why are we here? We don't just come just to be here. We come because we understand He has saved us. He has changed us. And He is to be worshipped. And He wants to do something in us and through us. And so we come together to worship Him so that we can go out to serve Him. And if you're here today and you need to trust Him for the first time, the altar's open to pray. I'll be here to pray with you. It's, it's something that we do directly with God. You just pray, honestly, God, I need to be changed. I need to be forgiven. I need to be made new. Forgive me. Enter my heart. Salvation happens. He comes inside. He changes. Or maybe He's spoken to you about other areas of decision to follow Him. Regardless of those areas, the answer that's right is always, okay, God, yes to whatever it is. Because you can't go wrong when you go towards Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, uh, thank You for an opportunity to just open up and think about this wonderful letter. Most of us, probably all of us, will never sit in a prison because of our love for Jesus. We might for another reason, but doubtful that is the reason. Paul wrote there, because he wasn't thinking about him because he already knew who he was. And he wanted others to catch the picture. Father, I pray today that we catch the picture, Lord. Thank you for grace school. Thank you for paying the tuition in full at Calvary. 
Thank you, Lord, for loving us enough to teach us by your wonderful Holy Spirit. And help us, Lord, to see that school prepares us to serve. So, Lord, as we in the coming weeks look at this letter, speak to our hearts. As we prepare in this time of invitation, Lord, what have you said? What do we do? Father, we ask for you to move among us, Lord. In this time, Lord, do that. In your name we pray. Amen.